somebody ever looks at anything that's growing or uh, accumulating and they say, oh no, that's just mildew, it's not mold, run. These molds change what they look like depending on how long they've been growing, what the other mold species are, because they adapt themselves mm. to try to get real estate changing what chemicals and things they make. It's like a little bit of mold warfare going on. <laughs> There's usually more than one type. They're kind of like a colony of different organisms all competing. So you can't tell until you test it. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kyberg, chiropractor, and movement expert as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. We are sitting down with Ann Shippey, Dr. Ann Shippey, and she is found in Austin, Texas. I am super excited to sit down with you and talk about mold since you are one of the world leading experts in mold toxicity and mold exposure. Thank you for having me. I think it's such an important topic because we really do have an epidemic going on around our country where people are getting sick from toxic mold and don't even realize it. Yeah. So this is actually a topic near and dear to my heart because this has been a two-year process of trying to get mold out of my own house. And I feel fortunate enough to have the resources to do construction and remediate and then deal with water leakages after, which we're still dealing with actually. Oh, <laughs> I know sorry. it's so frustrating, but I think of like, you know, populations that don't have the resources to do that. Can you tell us what are some symptoms that people may feel if they've been exposed to mold? Yeah. So mold can actually affect any organ system in the body. There's so many different types of molds and they make so many different types of chemicals. They're grouped into mycotoxins and MVOCs. So the most common thing that people would uh, experience from mold is asthma or allergy symptoms. And most physicians are aware of that, but a lot, a lot of times they don't even think about, well, you have this asthma that's flared up now or, or is a newly gotten asthma. They don't start to think about, oh, well, should we look at the person's environment? And that's one of the things I think is really important for people listening is if they, they have asthma or allergies that are flaring, that could be the first warning sign. But then there's so many other differences symptoms. So one of the most common things is brain fog. People just feel like, I can't think as well. I can't problem solve as well. I can't remember as well. I uh, hesitate when I'm looking for words and just generally feel foggy. People can also get headaches. They can get neurological symptoms like muscles jumping and muscle cramps, weakness in their extremities. A lot of people will get skin rashes, either more like hive and eczema kind of thing, or even mm. I've had patients with severe psoriasis. And a lot of people get digestive symptoms, the, the heartburn, the bloating, and it's related to inflammatory bowel sometimes where, you know, so ultracolitis or Crohn's, just hormone disruption. So infertility, PMS, hot flashes. If a man is having hot flashes, think about environmental toxicity, including mold. I had a, a 19-year-old yesterday who was having hot flashes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. And it turned out they had actually had water damage in their house and, and they just painted over it. They didn't realize that they actually needed to be ripping things out. Yeah. I can see how it can be really confusing 
especially with the myriad of symptoms. So they're going to see an allergy specialist for their allergies and their asthma. They might see a GI specialist for the digestive stuff. How did you come to be in this world of mold toxicity and mold exposure? Really put the pieces together for people. Well, I'm really lucky to get to do this and feel really grateful that that I actually had my own experience. I've had multiple learning experiences from my body. I actually switched from being a chemical engineer and manager for IBM. So after 10 years, I got I got sick. And I actually, looking back, I think mold was probably part of that. Although I just, the biggest thing was undiagnosed celiac disease. But then I decided to go to med school uh, to do medicine differently in my 30s. And then a few years into my functional medicine practice, I got to go to a lecture a weekend by Bill Ray, who was one of the leading people in environmental and environmental toxins affecting health. And they talked about mold. I was like, hmm, this is really interesting, but there wasn't a lot about how to test for it, how to treat it. It was just kind of putting it on the map for me. So when I came back to my practice, I started realizing, oh my gosh, there's been some people that I've been missing that actually were being affected by mold. So started helping people to figure it out and to, and really learn what to do. Did a little bit of studying with the shoemaker, looking at his protocols and that kind of thing. But when I started getting sick, (laughs) I didn't put it together. I started being super tired when I woke up on the, on Monday mornings and my hair was falling out all over the sink and bathtub. And I had so much pain in my body that I could hardly wear heels and my, it, it really hurt if my kids hugged me. Oh, and, oh I know. Oh, no. Really hard. And I, the scariest thing was that I was losing the strength in my right arm. I was probably getting weak all over, but especially my right arm, I could hardly hold a full glass or if I had a heavy purse, even pick it up. So I, I started looking for answers. I went to all kinds of specialists that I respected here in Austin a neurologist, hand specialist, um, infectious disease specialist. Uh, I started calling my functional medicine colleagues and nobody, we, I ran a bunch of tests on myself way outside the box and nobody was figuring it out, including me. It must be hard at that point to <laughs> be treating other patients, but be like, you know, almost silently suffering with these symptoms. I was definitely in survival mode and getting really, really scared. Like I felt like I was on the brink of not being able to take care of myself or my kids or my patients. And fortunately, I had a patient who I was working with her with multiple chemical sensitivity and she was doing great, but she had been through a mold issue before she came to see me. So she knew about it and she something in her intuition, I guess, I, even though I, <laughs> I thought I was masking it pretty well, when we finished her appointment, she said, Ann, I, or Dr. Shippey, I think you have mold. And um, I'm going to, I want to come to your house and see if I get my mold symptoms. So she met me that day after work and she was in the house for a few minutes and she's like, you got mold. And, and she did not feel well for a little while afterwards. Just that quick exposure really ramped up her immune system again. But I was really grateful for her that she cared about me so much that she did to expose herself. Expose herself, exactly. Yeah. She even knew which type of mold it was because she had, you know, they had found it in her house and 
took me a few different running tests because it, it, it turns out if you don't run the right test for that one, the chutomium, you miss it because it doesn't send out very many spores very far. They're heavy, so they just kind of drop where they are. So if you don't just wipe over right around the area that they are with the dust, you miss it. So I, I, um, I was very lucky. I have parents that live close by. I could take my kids and leave my belongings and just go see if I even started feeling better. And I had done enough with my patients that I realized that cholestyramine binder wasn't the only thing that I really needed to be adding other things in. So some saunas and liposomal glutathione, mitochondrial support. So I started treating myself and completely avoided being in the house for a few weeks. And my strength, my arms started coming back. My brain started working better. My um, energy was coming back. And so I had hope (laughs) I was going to be able to recover. And I think one of the things that's really important with my patients is that because I've been through it, you know, I know you can get so sick that you can actually fully recover. If you yeah. have, if you're not getting exposed and you have the right things to help your body to heal. The mold exposure that was in your house, did you end up doing construction, remediating? Did you sell the house? Fortunately, move? I was leasing. I had gone through ah, the good. and I had not yet purchased a home. So my landlord did try to, to fix it, but it was, it wasn't enough for me. I couldn't. <laughs> I was not able to be in it. So why are some people kind of like the canary in the coal mine? So for example, your patient that went to your house, knew immediately had symptoms. You know, even for myself, I have symptoms, but then my husband has no symptoms and is like, what are you talking about? You have a headache. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, why does mold affect different people in different ways? That is such a great question. It turns out that anybody with long enough, high enough exposure can get sick from these toxins. So some of them are actually used for biological warfare, and some of them have been studied for potential chemotherapy agents, and they're too toxic. Like, they can't use them because they make people too sick. And if you think about what chemotherapy does, that tells you a lot, right? Yeah, absolutely. But we all get sick at a different rate. Like, I know I lived in moldy houses before because I didn't know. I didn't know that you had to totally dry things out with 24 to 48 hours when we had a roof leak and it can just be cumulative load. So for some patients, it's, you know, they've had some heavy metal exposure because they had the Malcolm fillings and they ate a lot of tuna fish. They drank a lot of soy out of aluminum cans. They had a bunch of MRIs with gadolinium. So they had the heavy metal thing. And then they didn't know to be careful with what they put on their skin. So they have the plastics and the phthalates and that kind of thing from their skin and their food. And then they've had accumulation of the VOCs, so the carpet outgassing and the paint, and or you know they had a hobby where they were making jewelry or blowing glass or going hunting or. It was just like toxic overload on the system, and mold is just <laughs> another toxin that's tipping us over. Exactly, and then pesticides are another big thing. So it's mm. it's the accumulation of all these things and the synergy. So it turns out these these toxins they or a lot of times it's not one plus one, it's equals two, it's one plus one equals a hundred. And then the other thing that can dramatically impact is our genetics. So some of us do not detoxify very well from the beginning. So for like me, I don't make glutathione very well. 
so I really need to take it a lot of uh, in a form that is helpful. The most helpful form I found is the liposomal. And then methylation, it turns out, is very important. So if you've heard about people talking about the MTHFR genes and other genes that, that determine how well we can put methyl groups onto toxins and repair of DNA and all that kind of thing, I see that very, very commonly being an important piece of people getting better. And then sometimes the genetics for the phase one of detoxification, so the P450 enzymes, that's another thing to look at. The exciting thing about those is a lot of times just the foods that we eat and some of the supplements that we take can actually help initiate getting the toxins moving out of our body. Mm, we'll touch on that, but to, to talk more about toxins, so there are, is it mycotoxins that get released from mold that is what affects us? Yes. So there, the mold toxins are really in two groups, the mycotoxins and then the MVOCs. So the MVOCs, microbial volatile organic compounds, are just the ones that are more likely to float in the air. So if the types of mold that you're, are in the environment that you're being exposed to are making the MVOCs, a lot of times that has a little bit of an odor, a musty odor. They're not mm -hmm. always there, so you can't count on your nose to, to tell you if there's some hidden mold in the house or in the environment. Those are the two main types. And then how is a mycotoxin different than a toxin, say, from like a heavy metal, like a lead or a mercury or arsenic? Yeah, they can actually have very similar impacts on the body. The thing that we're finding out about a lot of these toxins is that they can actually dramatically change how healthy our cell membranes are. They can get right into the cell membranes, with our, which we know now is kind of like the brain of the cell. It's what does a lot of the communication of what the, the cells do. It can also damage our mitochondria, which is our body's capacity to be able to make energy and really run our biochemistry and physiology. And then they can disrupt endocrine, the endocrine system, so they can impact the thyroid, the pituitary, the adrenals, all, all of our hormone production. And then they can really, I love this research that's going on, they can disrupt our microbiome. And if, mm. if there are any of your audience that's <laughs> heard that term, that's yeah. the organisms in our body, the good bacteria, the bad bacteria, the fungus, the parasites, the viruses can actually shift the microbiome in a really negative way so that then the has, that has a negative impact on our immune system. And then the toxins can actually directly impact the, how effective the immune system is too. So that's why we see so many different types of symptoms with the mold exposure and why everybody's affected a little bit differently because it just seems to find your weakest link. Oh man, it's like the kryptonite. <laughs> Another big area of research is how these toxins are affecting and causing autoimmunity. So lupus, Hashimoto's, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, all the different autoimmune disorders, MS, can be triggered as well as even autism. Wow. So if someone is suspecting, like let's say someone is feeling some of the symptoms that you've mentioned, where do they start? Do they start with testing in the body? Do they start in the home? Where do you typically have people start? You know, it depends so much on people's situations. You know, so for, for people that are on the same wavelength with their spouse and they know that they've got a water, water, some type of water damage, I would just go get that fixed. You know, spend the money on getting it remediated or moving or, you know, whatever it takes to get in a clean environment. For people that really want to know, like, is this it? There are tests that you can do on your own body 
the technology is still evolving. It's not perfect. If it's present, you know it's there. If it's if it's absent, you don't know if you're just such a poor detoxifier that it's not coming out in your urine because it's a urine test. Who does the urine test? So they have to go to a practitioner. The practitioner orders a urine test? Right. And I think that companies are really working on trying to be able to be able to provide direct to consumer. And it, so it depends on what state you're in. So the mm-hmm. two labs that I use for that are real-time lab and then also uh, Great Plains. And Great Plains now is adding additional mycotoxins. <laughs> it seems like almost every month they've got some new toxins that they're adding. They're on a mission to really That's great. To have a, gr- a greater breadth. Yeah. The challenge is if you're, if you're a really, really poor detoxifier, you might need to, with the Great Plains test, a lot of times if I have people take glutathione ahead of time, that, that'll help to have extra toxins come out. But with the technology that Great Plains uses, sometimes people have to get into a hyperbaric or into a sauna a few times before they start having the toxins come out through the urine. Mm. Do you also do like a nasal swab to see if there's colonizations in the sinus cavities? Yeah. So that's a really interesting thing that I'm seeing is that when people are exposed to mold, their immune systems don't work as well to keep fungal infections at bay. So I actually see fungal infections all over the body. It can be on their skin. It can be in their sinuses. It can be in their guts. It can be in their bladder in their lungs because the immune system gets suppressed. And so, yes, depending on which body part we think is being affected, I have them do swabs and sometimes cultures because uh, a lot of times the molds are very tricky to identify in the lab because they may not grow in that environment very easily. So sometimes I have to use a DNA technology that detects Mm. the the organism directly. For people who don't know what remediation is, because I did not know what that was until I had to pull out <laughs> walls and showers and <laughs> drywall. What does that look like? Sometimes it, you know, once the remediation team comes in, it looks like a sterile science lab. <laughs> so the whole point of remediation is to really protect you and the home from getting the toxins and the mold spores spread all over the place. One of the biggest pieces of advice I can give people is to not attempt to do the remediation themselves because they may get much sicker because you can get a huge exposure by moving those molds around. So the remediation, if you're, when you're interviewing people to do that for you, it's really important to get a sense that they're going to do a perfect job of setting up containment. So that means like putting up plastic walls and taping for, and them wearing protection themselves. They should be wearing like hazmat suits and they need to have a plan of how they're going to get this done without spreading it throughout your house. And they have to really be on it because it's so easy to, you know, for the, if they don't do it well for the, you know, the plastic to not stick or for the people to drag things through the house that are, you know, really not meant to to be, they need to be bagged or sent out a window or something like that instead of driving through the house. Yeah. Have you seen patients who have not done remediation and just like torn out mold, torn out drywall and then get sicker? Yes. And then why, why is that? Is it like the mycotoxins kind of break and get in the air and they breathe it in? So it's, you know, it's, taking something that's a little bit contained in a wall and opening it wide open, you know, Mm. 
cutting it and moving it and really stirring it up. It's like if you have like, um, a, well, carpet, t- taking out a moldy carpet is the perfect example. I've had a number of people get get sick from taking out <laughs> carpets that are moldy because if you think about it, it's going to move particles everywhere, right? Like it's like shaking a, a rug that stuff was just sitting in the rug and maybe some particles were moving around, but when you actually you know, shake it in the air, it's going to go everywhere. I think of all the people who've had hurricanes, like Hurricane Harvey, Katrina, where just severe water damage. Do you feel like, you know, and then there's a couple of days later and you see on the news, like they have mold lines, you know, three feet up their wall and people are tearing it out by themselves. Do you feel like maybe there's some point where maybe the house just needs to... Absolutely. Get salvaged and just move yeah. and yeah. It's been that moldy. It's very, very difficult to get yeah. out of mold out. That's so that it's truly inhabitable. I've had a number of patients come from the Houston area, you know, which was pretty hard last year. And even people that didn't think they had water intrusion had water intrusion. It turns out, you know, it's just behind the walls. Yeah. And uh, yeah, one family in particular, they thought they were, you know, they were feeling so fortunate that they they felt like they had managed to avoid it because they did, hadn't had any obvious water in the, in the house, but it just wasn't enough to get through the paint, but it was enough for the, all the, a lot of the, the walls to mold behind the paint, and then they got very sick. Wow. For those of us that have kids, right, because I'm a mom, you're a mom, yeah. <laughs> how does mold exposure affect children, infants differently than maybe adults? Yeah. So kids are definitely more susceptible. They have a higher respiratory rate. So the, the inhalation amount of mold can definitely be much higher plus than the, you know, the amount of toxin per pound is yeah. also be a lot higher. And then especially for younger children, you know, less than two or three, their detoxification systems aren't fully in action. And then, you know, their immune systems are still building. So they're often affected more quickly and more severely. But again, it can depend on what their detoxification system, you know, their genetics and and even how much toxin they got passed on along from mom in utero. So Hmm. a lot of kids are born with a high amount of toxins in their body because the mom didn't know she was toxic and she didn't know the things that she needed to be doing to minimize the exposure for the baby during pregnancy. So it, it, that's, I think that ends up being a big factor as well as, you know, what, what did you start out with even? Yeah. So if someone has come to you, they've done the lab testing, they've done the urine test, mold exposure comes up, you know, obviously you want to bring someone into your home. What is the best way to start to locate potential areas in your home if you didn't have plain insight water lake yeah so a lot of times a really good inspector can find clues and really be a good sleuth so it so a lot of times it means even things like pulling out the dishwasher and looking behind it putting a scope in the wall to look around the windows and see if there's been any water leaking around the windows really going up in the attic and and looking very thoroughly at the roof, opening up the air conditioning system and, and actually sometimes having to, if they see something in there, don't assume, oh, this is just dust. 
actually taking a sample of it and finding out if it's mold or not. If somebody ever looks at anything that's growing or uh, accumulating and they say, oh no, that's just mildew, it's not mold, run. These molds change what they look like depending on how long they've been growing, what the other mold species are because they adapt themselves Mm. to try to get real estate changing what chemicals and things they make. It's like a little bit of mold warfare going on. (laughs) There's usually more than one type. They're kind of like a colony of different organisms all competing. So you can't tell until you test it. What's the difference between mildew and mold? Mildew is just kind of a slang term. It doesn't, it it really doesn't mean anything. You got to test it. Exactly what it is. So just from personal experience and I'm sure many people who've had mold exposure will potentially go through this is I know laying in bed at night thinking, where can I move where I cannot be exposed to mold? Is it to the desert? Is it to somewhere that doesn't rain? Is it to Norway where it's cold most of the year? I think about that too, actually. And for my patients that I can actually move, I've had a number of patients who can, you know, they work remotely or are at the place in their life where they can go settle someplace else. I found that the high desert types of places often do really well. So Santa Fe, New Mexico, Bend, Oregon, and Colorado. People do really well in Colorado for some reason. It can still mold there. If you have the right setup, you know, chronic uh, water leak or didn't get a leaky AC unit. Exactly. Yeah. They'll get mold. It's just less likely when there's less humidity. Mm. All right. Doesn't Santa Fe have like the best air quality in the country? I read that somewhere in my research of like, where's mold free? (laughs) (laughs) I think they're doing pretty well there. Yeah. Yeah. So how can... We'll start a little colony. (laughs) Yeah. We'll just start like a little, like a little commune of people who are poor detoxifiers and have MTHFR. (laughs) And want good air quality. And want amazing air quality. Yeah. Yeah, We don't want pesticides being sprayed on the lawns and we don't want the dryer vents emitting all the, the dryer sheet chemicals. How can we, you know, since being on this journey myself, I take a lot of supplements because I still think I am living in molds, but I take these supplements. I notice my symptoms have decreased. I'm sure if I was out of it, I would feel even better. But how can we help our bodies just natural detoxification processes be in like tip top shape? Yeah. So, I mean, I really do think it's important to get in as clean an environment as you can because otherwise it's kind of like, you know, you're trying to clean a bathtub, but you're not emptying water out. <laughs> oh, that image gets stuck in my head. Sorry. That's okay. It's, it's so, good. It's so good. Like, that is the most important thing. But for methylation, I like to do labs on people to look at their methylation pathways to see how well the supplements are overcoming those genetic polymorphisms. So what forms of folic acid they need, the methyl tetrahydrofolate, the B6, the B12, the zinc, the choline, all those things that can really help the methylation pathway. And I, I think a lot of people actually really need those things. And my favorite thing, like I don't travel without it. I don't, I rarely go a day without it is the liposomal glutathione because that works the best for actually getting up, getting the glutathione up inside the cells where the detoxification takes place. 
And then repairing cell membranes with phosphatidylcholine is uh, very, very important with a lot of symptoms. A lot of times we really need to help the microbiome by taking a good probiotic. I have several favorites of those. And then really, really supporting our mitochondria. Detoxifying takes a lot of energy. And a lot of times they're, they're limping along. So we really need to help them with things like CoQ10 and carnitine and D-ribose and the B vitamins to really help them work better. So when patients come to see you, they found the mold, they've remediated, gotten it out, they've started detoxifying and taking supplements. And I'm sure everyone is different, right? And how quickly they start to feel better. But is there kind of like an average or just for people who are going through this to kind of give them perspective or light at the end of the tunnel? Like if you get out and remediate or you move and you're out of molds and you start the supplements and start detoxifying, like, you know, some people feel like I'm going to be like this forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the critical things is really getting into the clean environment because it's super important to be it for the immune system to be able to, to settle down and to be able to be opening up the spigots to let out the toxins, but not, you know, be flooding it again. So I really like for people to also think about the other toxins that they could be being exposed to and try to eliminate as many as they can. So it depends on how sick people are. It depends on how clean of environment they can get into as to how long it takes. But sometimes it's pretty quick, you know, within, I had dramatic improvement, even though I was so ill within two months. I mean, I was a lot very quickly. So neurological symptoms went away? Yeah, no, wow. I know. Mean, honestly, I, I had a little bit of a, a couple months, I think it was like four months into it, I started, some of the symptoms started coming back and I realized I took some things that I really shouldn't have. So I had to get rid of more stuff to, and then I got better again. Mm. Um, but again, I was in one of the really worst molds. It's very, very difficult to remediate. That chitomium just has hooks and grows into everything. You know, sometimes there's multiple pieces of the puzzle that we really have to figure out with more extensive testing and figuring out the unique aspects of that individual person to find out what what it really takes to get them better. And it can take six months to a year to see significant improvement and to really recover. The challenge is also really getting that immune system settled down. So one of the things is managing the limbic system. So doing something like the Muse, uh, there's a device called uh, the Muse that's an electronic device that's a headband that measures your EEG and sends your brain waves to an app on your phone and helps to retrain your brain. I think that would actually be a great thing for you. Yes. <laughs> I can tell just by looking at your eyes as we're talking. It, it, this has been really traumatic and sometimes your brain gets stuck in that, oh my God, we need to be we're running from the tiger rather than... Um, being like, okay, we can relax and we can yeah. this into healing. So another time when I actually had <laughs> another run-in with mold where I developed asthma for the first time in my life, a couple of years after my original one, I was so stuck in that limbic state. And I was reacting to almost every building I went into and doing the muse every day. Just It was uh, so easy for me to commit to doing five to 20 minutes, like my brain waves and the ability to get into a relaxed, restorative state was night and day. It really saved me from staying stuck in that hyper-loading system state. The other option, but it's very time-consuming, so 
busy with my practice and kids and all of that. I didn't have time to do it, even though I did buy it and look at it as Annie Hopper's uh, DNR systems. Hmm. So have the the time, which it's an hour to like three hours a day to to do her practices. But she that along with the detoxifying and getting into a clean environment really, really can make a huge difference so that you're not as sensitive and not as scared. Yeah. Where can people learn more about mold toxicity? I feel it's like the up and coming environmental epidemic that so few people know about. So I have a workbook on Amazon. It's just an Anne Shippey and the mold toxicity workbook. So that's, it's a really good place to start to learn how to do the testing and some things to think about. And then there's actually, there's a mold summit that's going on this week where uh, Margaret Christensen is interviewing people. So people can go and Google um, mold toxicity summit. I haven't watched all of it, but it's a lot of experts, including me being, including yourself. Yep. (laughs) So, but it's a lot of different perspectives. There's no like one set way to diagnose and treat this. We are all learning by, from our experiences with our own bodies, a lot of us and from our patients. Like I learn every day, every week, more and more to help people get better quicker and more thoroughly. So yeah. And and then if people are in Austin, they can come see you. Yes. Yes. Maybe in like nine months from now with your, (laughs) with the wait list, but yeah. (laughs) Well, and and we also have a, um, a free mold handout that if people search on and should slash mold, we have a a way that they can download a, um, an information sheet to also get them started. Awesome. We'll drop that in the show notes for people who aren't in Austin. And I know you have people from around the world come and fly to you almost as their last resort, which is so amazing that you can be that resource. Is there an online resource? So for example, if someone was in New York and they wanted to find a mold specialist or they were in Oregon, is there anything like that online right now? The best resource is probably to go to the functional medicine website. I think it's functionalmedicine.org to look for a functional medicine practitioner because even though they may not have done a lot of uh, treatment on mold, there are some resources that are being taught through IFM. So at least that's a place, a place to start and get somebody who's thinking outside the box and will be at least familiar that mold could be the problem. Amazing. And are you on social media? Where can people find you other than your website? Yeah. Yes, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Is it Ann Shippey, MD? Yes. Okay. We'll put in the show notes. We'll, we'll check them out. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Thank you so much. I feel like this is such an important topic for everyone to know. You know, I have friends in Colorado and Oregon, all over the country that have suffered in different ways. And it's so great that you're a resource for all these people. Oh, thank you. And I'm so sorry that you've gone through this and looking forward to you. I think I'll look back on it and wave it goodbye. Yeah. Way back when, when I had mold toxicity. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it too. (laughs) It was great talking with you. Thanks so much for having me.